This week on the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Home, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kulsik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, our general editor, general editor, editor-in-chief, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Mr. Ricky D., who's always been a big, huge fan of Mr. Jon Snow. <laughs> yes, and uh, is, is there going to be... How much I told you so and is there going to be uh, this week? Because I feel like there I, could be a lot. It's I told you so every week. <laughs> we were talking to off mic about your spidey sense, and I'm sure there were at least a couple scenes here uh, where you were feeling validated. We'll get to that. But first, let's introduce our guest this week. Uh, joining us from the Life on the Swing set uh, family of podcasts and website, as well as, of course, the, the co-produced, no, co distributed i guess damn fine podcast between life on the swing set and sound on site and eat the rude cast and many other places mr cooper beckett cooper welcome Hello. to the podcast Hello. thank you thank you for having me um this week we're talking about game of thrones season five episode eight hard home written by david benioff and dp weiss directed by miguel sapochnik and to get this out of the way at the top there will be no spoilers for future episodes of game of thrones on this po- episode we're not going to talk about next week ons or anything like that neither of us or none of us i should say have seen the last two episodes of the season so never fear listeners there will be no spoilers and as for the books we will very likely discuss uh, how certain things relate to you know how things are portrayed in the books versus uh, on screen or on the tv series but only things that have already happened or things that have been you know diverted and can't aren't going to happen on the show. So there will be no book spoilers. There'll be no show spoilers. Everyone can listen. And it's a safe space. Everyone should feel free to, to enjoy and not worry about any of that stuff. I have read the books, uh, but it's been a while. So I'm a little fuzzy on some, some things. Then I always appreciate our listeners being very understanding about that. Ricky has not read the books. Cooper, what's your relationship with a song of ice and fire? I have read, I would say 90% of the books and filled in, that last 10% of books four and five with the wiki of ice and fire, because I was just so irritated at George R. R. Martin at that point in the story. Yeah. Where, so, so are you having uh are, are you not one of those people who's like eagerly anticipating the next book? Or are you like, do you care? Are you going to read the next book? Oh, I have a very uh, mean opinion of this in that I, I firmly believe he has, lost his plot Mm -hmm. and i think the reason books four and five are so massive is because he realized he killed off most of the characters he liked and was desperately trying to find new characters to replace them and i don't think really has that's interesting because that's something that we've talked discussed on the podcast that's an issue (laughs) ricky has maybe had with parts of the season it's an issue i've addressed week after week since the season started yeah, it's a- it's a tough thing because it's one of those things where Stephen King did it with the Dark Tower. I think there's elements of Harry Potter that feel like this. It's the problem when someone gets way too successful with a series and people stop telling them no. Yeah, that can be an issue. Um, yeah. 
I, that's, so, that's why I, where that's the issue I see with Harry Potter book uh, four. And yeah. not book five. I like the I like the long one there. Well, I think she she figured it out, you know, and yeah. uh, Stephen King wrote himself into the story, so maybe he didn't figure it out. And George R. R. Martin, I I don't know that he has a good idea of what's actually happening with his characters. He may know a vague idea, and I I'm really excited about what Weiss and Benioff have done this season, especially to just show me what was actually important in those two books. Interesting. Well, we're, we'll get to some of that, I would imagine, this week, uh, talking about this episode, Hard Home. Uh, there is one very prominent uh, part of the episode that we will, I would assume, spend the majority of our episode <laughs> here on, because uh, it's awesome. But before we get there, let's talk about some of the other happenings this this week in Westeros and uh, across the Narrow Sea and in, in other parts of the world. So uh, let this, this episode, episode takes a very, and I remarked on this uh, as I was watching it with my sister, it, it instead of cross-cutting like many of the episodes do, it really just kind of goes from location to location. You get a few scenes with with uh, uh, in King's Landing, you get a few scenes with um, uh, Danny and Tyrion. Like it doesn't really do a lot of cutting back and forth. We're kind of just mm-hmm. in one location at a time. So why don't we, you know, like like we so frequently do, let's let's move location to location and let's start uh, with with our, our first foray, uh, the or, or the foray of Arya outside the walls of the House of Black and White as what is it, it was Lana, yes, yeah, uh, Lana. How was that uh, storyline working for you? Were you glad to see her get outside of those walls, Cooper? Oh, it's it's nice to see her do much of anything other than be told she's not doing it right. I've always felt that that kind of training montage, which seems to be pretty prevalent, is kind of irritating. So I, I like seeing her out, and I like seeing her actually observing, and, and the beginning part where she's telling the story about how Lana sells the oysters. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic they did. And I thought she looked lovely in the scene too. It was, and again, this is something my sister remarked about. It was a little odd to see her dressed as a girl because yeah. that's, she's sort of stripped herself. She's been a boy essentially for so long. Yeah. Of, of gender representation. And, you know, she's mm-hmm. because of, you know, for various reasons. And also just because I imagine after, masquerading as a boy for so long and always, you know, never really associating with the, the elements of feminine dress, like what's defined by their culture as feminine from the time she was a young girl. I I feel like it's just not ever been a priority for her since, you know, pretending to be a boy on, on being airy uh, on, on the way up to the wall. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of nice. What did you think of those scenes, Ricky? Wait, Arya was in this episode. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I don't have much to say. I haven't been a big fan of her storyline all season long. I honestly think it's kind of boring. I mean, in this episode, she does get outside of the walls, and I guess she's going to become the assassin of the merchant who's running an insurance scam on sea captains? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, see... Yeah, I can see what you're saying as far as this feeling disconnected or not particularly interesting. But uh, I was actually I was surprised how affected I was by this scene just based on the way it ends when we have Jack and Agar basically saying, I don't know if she's ready. And if she's not, then she'll die. 
Oh well. I was like, no, you're turning you're turning Arya into a killer for your religious cult. No. Uh so it was a little uh disconcerting for me maybe. I did I wanted to believe better that the Jack and Hagar that he really cares about her. Um and that's probably stupid on my part. I mean, he's a, he's an assassin, but that was a you know, we'll see where it goes. He's like the most boring assassin ever. Jack and Hagar is the only cool thing about him. It's his name. Like, I, I'm sorry. I just don't like the storyline. I find it so boring. Like, it's eight episodes in, and we've seen her do nothing but house chores. And in this episode, she's uh, selling oysters, and that's about it. And sure, it's leading up to something, but I, I think it's taken way too long to lead up to her killing some guy who we've never seen before on the show. Yeah, I agree. Well, any other thoughts on Bravos or shall we shall we move on? Because I know where we're gonna want to spend her time and it's not here. Well, interestingly, you know, we, we talk about how she's working for a religious cult, essentially. And Kyburn had a line in this episode that really stuck with me, and partly because of my opinions on religion in general, but belief is so often the death of reason was his line. And it fits in with the Arya stuff too as she believes more and more she's not thinking for herself and we see this across this entire season is people are getting sucked into the beliefs that are put in front of them and Danny has that problem too hmm. the problem is I don't see Arya actually buying into anything he's selling like I, I don't actually think that she really believes in and whatever he believes in his religion, if you want to call it a religion, like I, I'm not even entirely sure why she's doing what she's doing. Like, I think to her, it's just a challenge. I mean, and we see this because she never actually throws away needle. She buries needle right. and she knows exactly where needle is because she's most likely going to pick it up very soon. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the next episode. So she never really wholly let go. Oh, I don't think she buys into the many face God at all. She does seem to believe that they are going to teach her something of value for whatever reason. And yeah. it's because of her faith in Jack and Agard from the beginning. And that's why she's there in the first place. Right. So, so I mean, she wants to learn how to become an assassin. Right. Well, and she's certainly learned how to, how to lie better. Uh, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. It's, it's a handy, very, very handy skill to have in Westeros and uh, I would say also outside of it. Um, so that can only help her really in the long run. But yeah, I concur. She is. She's not bought into the religion of it, but she certainly um, she's it's, she she thinks she can learn from them, and it's something to do. And uh, and it, I I enjoy that um, because she's had such a, a struggle after struggle, and you know various fantastic buddy cop pairings, you know, over the course of the series. It's it's kind of nice to see her in the entitled uh, princess role because she hasn't really had that to this point. But then she kind of she shows up at the House of Black and White and is just like, okay, tell me all your secrets. I'm, I'm bored. Tell me your secrets. Um, so so it's a different side to her, and maybe it's not the most interesting, and it's certainly not the most likable. But at least they're trying something new with that. And uh, well, I would be surprised. Um, and this is not based on anything in the books, but just based on the fact that this is such a potentially powerful character as far as like, you know, fans really appreciate her and Maisie Williams is fantastic. And she plays off of pretty much anybody really, uh, really well. She makes, uh, she, she is, she adds value to pretty much all her scenes. I'd be surprised if she is at the house of black and white 
through next season. Um, so we'll see whether or not they bring that to a head in two episodes. That's going to be very challenging to see that, you know, in just the next two weeks. But um, at least things are moving forward. Uh, you mentioned Kyburn. For me, the the line that stands out is th- the work continues. And of course, as book oh, readers, yeah. we know what that means. I'm curious, Ricky, did that line stand out to you the way it did uh, to me? No. <laughs> He's been doing experiments in the basement uh of of the the red uh the red keep or like the, the the castle basically. Yeah. Um yeah, so that that's the work. And but, but I don't know what the work is though. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm curious if that's going to become an issue because it, it, like for me again being a book reader that you know, that stood out to me and I keyed into that. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if that's going to come into play with Cersei's situation, if that's what he's trying to tell her. But I could, I can't imagine that if you aren't a book reader, that that actually means anything. And so how are they going to be able to bring in something like this without having it feel very inorganic? Do you think there's a way, Ricky, that they can incorporate Kyburn and the mysterious things that he's been doing and have it be meaningful or is it just basically all going to have to be new content man i don't know i mean dr frankenstein that dude yeah i mean when he when he shows up at the prison the first thing i'm thinking is that he's going to find a way to free her i'm not entirely sure how based on what he said i had no idea what he's referring to because i haven't read the book so I I don't know. This is one of the episodes in which I really don't have much to say about any of these like side storylines. I just really want to get to the big event. Um, I actually do have a question for you. Did I not hear correctly that they said that her uncle, Uncle Kevin, is headed to Castle Rock? Headed back from Casterly Rock. Casterly Rock. Sorry. He's headed back. Yeah. She sent him there towards the beginning of the season when she was clearing out the small council. From anyone okay. who could, you know, vie with her for authority. Okay, so in so meaning he's on his way back to King's Landing. Yeah, he he's going to be the the advisor. The the he's taking over as the hand. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that will undoubtedly come into play soon. Cooper, do you have any thoughts on on Kyburn or or Cersei? Like. Did you know? Are do you think that the Kyburn's thing can come into play in the next two episodes, or are they going to have to, you know, build to that again? Uh, honestly, that's one of those subplots where it just feels like wheels spinning, and with all the subplots along those lines that they have cut out of the book, uh, from the book to the show, I don't understand why they're dwelling on this one. And that could mean that it's an important one or it could just be wheel spinning. Yeah. But I I like the scenes with Cersei a lot, mostly because, I don't know, seeing Cersei get hit in the face with a wooden spoon. And I mean, that's a little bit of justice. And (laughs) that's nice to see. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, I I keep coming back to with with all these Cersei scenes this season, I keep coming back to the fact that they chose to start the season with her flashback, with the only flashback the series has used. Yeah. And um, and wondering how that is going to come full circle, theoretically, by the finale, or maybe episode nine, like Game of Thrones likes to do. And it's hard for me to see how that could with where they're at right now. or may, And maybe it's going to be more of like a two-season kind of thing. You know what I mean? Well, and this... Um... We're allowed to speculate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the the thrust of her um, flashback 
was that all her children will die before her, right? Yeah. So if they wanted to bring it into play in the next two episodes, and this is, again, complete speculation, they could always kill Tommen. What do you think, Ricky? Are they going to kill Tommen? Well, I, I thought they would have killed... Uh, Marcella? I guess... Marcella? Well, yeah, both of them, actually, before the season ends. Be because we do get the flashback at the beginning of the season, so there's got to be a bookend. Right. So I'm assuming episode 10 her daughter will die and her son will die most likely in the same episode i think interesting because 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 the thing is why else would you bring in a flashback it's your very first and only flashback yet in the series thus far there's got to be a reason for it and you know it's it's funny because we, we we're going in order of the episodes so we're getting to the big event at the end of the podcast and we were sort of debating if we should go in this route but like it's kind of weird because i i uh, is there a problem with these scenes that we don't have much to say about these scenes this week? You know, because we all, I think we can all agree that this is an amazing episode. But now that we're talking about this episode and starting from the beginning, I'm like, well, we don't really have much to say about, <laughs> you know, Cersei and King's Landing and Arya in the House of Black and White. Is that a problem? Like, were we just blown away by the last, like, 20 minutes of the episode that we forgot that there's a lot of stuff that happens in the episode that seems redundant, repetitive, boring at times? <laughs> well, I, I think that it's just they're inching the various storylines forward. And yeah. I, I don't I think this is a really exciting episode, but mostly because it's a really exciting set piece, not because it's a really exciting episode. Um, and I think there's a well, slather praise all over a hard home, I would imagine. But, um, and I think the other scenes that we get elsewhere and all these different locations, I think they work and are interesting. And I think, I just think that um, there's not, there's not, like they, they inch the storylines forward. They give you new ideas. But I mean, like Cerse, the stuff with Cersei, that's nothing there is new. There's just sort of reminding us that that's what's going on. They're filling in, you know, they're, they're mentioning Kevin so that when he, we're not surprised when he shows up, they're mentioning Kyburn, you know, they're having Kyburn show up so we remember that he exists. But it's mm -hmm. really much more, you know, getting us ready for episode nine and episode 10. And then I think part of the, that is when you get to Hard Home. This is episode eight. We've been trained very well by right. Game of Thrones <laughs> that the big stuff doesn't happen in eight. It happens in nine. And so uh, I think that that element of surprise is also a, a part of this. Uh, what do you think, Cooper? Well, I, actually, I thought it was episode nine because of the big stuff mm -hmm. and then was wondering how on earth they're going to wrap it all up in one episode. But we still have two hours so okay it's still ridiculous that they they think they can wrap up all these major points and if they're hewing anywhere near the book it's also ridiculous but um i i didn't actually i didn't have a problem with these early scenes i actually like i i again really like the scene with cersei and kyburn because kyburn's a whack job and i find it interesting and i i mean my favorite scenes in the episode were actually Tyrion and uh, Danny, and that's where I wanted to go next because hey, awesome! You know, we got our our long-awaited and hasn't happened in the book yet, but you know, yay, yeah. the show going there. Uh, the meeting of minds of Daenerys and and Tyrion, and I'm you know, did did it live up to the hype for you guys? I thought it was fantastic, and I what I loved most about it is this entire storyline from the end of the last episode to through this episode feels like Weiss and Benioff saying, you know what? You book readers had to deal with so much crap 
waiting for Tyrion to run into Danny. We're just going to give it to you. And you know what? We're not going to play around with, oh, will she throw him in jail or will she not accept him? She's accepting him as her advisor. She's She believes that he's on her side. It, I think it's fantastic that we hit all those points and then get to see Tyrion do what Tyrion does best, which is advise, because he is an amazing hand. Mm-hmm. Ricky? Yeah, I love the scenes between Tyrion and Daenerys. I love it when she's like she's so relentless and she's so ambitious and she's so determined when she turns to him and she says, I don't want to stop the wheel from turning. I want to crush it. I want to destroy it. I want to break it. I was like, yes, that is the Danny I want to see. This is the Danny I want to see. And this is like, I mean, we like last week on the podcast, I said, you know, the reason why I thought they didn't end the episode with Tyrion meeting Daenerys for the very first time and instead chose to end it with Cersei being thrown into the prison is because to me that wasn't the payoff. The payoff, like him meeting her for the very first time, doesn't mean that he's actually going to become her advisor. Like right. I was waiting for this conversation. I wanted to see the Queen Mother of Dragons talk to perhaps the most charismatic, smartest, most intelligent, and the most likable character on the show, that is Tyrion. That is a character who I love to follow. No matter who you put with Tyrion, be it Varys and or Littlefinger and or Jamie Lannister, he he's, a, he's just such a great actor and such a great character that he makes everyone around him so much better. And her storyline isn't as bad or disappointing for me as a viewer has, say, Arya's storyline this season, but I've been somewhat disappointed, like a little let down with everything that's been happening over in Marine, because it seems like it's a lot of repetition. And so I've been waiting forever now for Tyrion to finally get to Marine and meet Daenerys. And I also felt so bad for Jorah. Like, and you got to give credit to the actor because he he did such a fantastic job with no words because she wouldn't let him speak. You can see the sorrow and the regret on his face. He's such an amazing actor. And then you see it on her face as well. Like it breaks her to let him go, to have him exiled once again. You know, she, I think, loves him just as much as he loves her. And that must be a really hard decision for someone who we always criticize as not a good leader because she's young and inexperienced. She still makes tough decisions that most people wouldn't make. And now that, now that we have Tyrion by her side, I'm so excited to see what we're going to get with, with her moving forward. And I also like how, you know, he, he makes the comparisons between their families, their dads, That themselves has children, has terrible people. How terrible are they? Uh, and I like how he, despite the fact that he knows she's the mom of three dragons, he still tells her, I'm not sure if you're worth serving. Like he's got balls to say that to her, you know, especially since he's her prisoner. But it's true. Like, like every time he says something, he's absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Love the scenes here. He he also can he's also an excellent judge of character and can tell mm-hmm. just in the first seconds when he meets her that going oh of course also real of course is not the way to get her attention uh so be, saying I don't know but he, he's standoffish he plays hard to get and that's the correct approach with Danny it's much more interesting than yet another person 
throwing themselves at her feet and saying how amazing she is and won't she just please let them serve her. Uh, she doesn't respond too well to that. And uh, it's it's true because, you know, he's a very, very valuable ally. And, you know, but but I think that's an important part of it as well. I also love the way the scene is directed because when the scene begins, they're very far apart. They are as far apart as they can be within that room, even though it's a really big room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the way the camera's place it's she's above him and he's below and so we have these camera angles looking down on him and he's looking up on and he's looking up at her and then he starts to slowly approach her and slowly approach her and so the distance between these two people is becoming shorter and shorter and and i just love the way it was directed like the, the the closer he gets to her and the closer she allows him to get to her it's basically she is saying i'm slowly convinced that you are going to become a great ally. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a way to direct it. Like, this director is fantastic. I love the way he directed each and every single one of the scenes. Even the scenes with Aria, which I wasn't crazy about, it's the camera shots, the framing, the angles, the cinematography. Everything about this episode is just beautifully shot. Um, but yeah, when you talk about the direction of that scene, it's also, it's not just that she, that he's bridging the distance between himself and, and Daenerys. It's also, he starts out just as a, you know, because of their heights, he starts out below, uh, um, Jorah. And then as he walks up the stairs, uh, he, the angle, the camera set very directly to show him mm -hmm. at an even, even height, even like his, you know, their faces are lined up. And so now he's at least the equal of Jorah, if not uh, above him in station and in, in her regard, uh, even if she has a much, you know, he, there's no comparison in the relationship with Daenerys and Jorah, but she can't, you know, Tyrion is replacing her, him, is replacing Jorah as her most trusted or her most valuable um, advisor. And so that, that that element is in the, the staging and the, the, the framing as well. Yeah, well, he is the greatest Lannister killer of all time, right? <laughs> he is. <laughs> um, are there any other uh, elements of, of Danny that we want to talk about? Or is the time to head head north? Well, before we do, I, I just, I'm, this scene made me very excited as a book reader to just see how his presence there, it, it has to dramatically alter the events of the end of the book. It mm -hmm. just has to. And so that makes me, again, just realize they are going a different way. And every time I see that from Weiss and Benioff, almost every time I see that, I'm excited by it. Wait, so, sorry, in the book, he never meets Daenerys? Not yet. No. Oh, wow. Not yet, yeah. We assume it's likely to happen early in the next book because the circumstances are similar, but no. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, as, watching this season, it's um, it's a little frustrating for me because so much of the Tyrion stuff is, it's only there so that Jorah can, can get... Um, uh, stand. What, what, what's his disease? The skin, uh, stone skin. So grayscale. he can get it, grayscale, so that he can get in, uh, infected with grayscale. Like that's the only reason that any of that needs to happen. That he yeah. couldn't have just appeared there, and then Varys would be there as well. So, so watching this scene, <laughs> I'm a little. I was. It was a little frustrating because I was like, yes, at, la at long last, awesome, fabulous. But you know, it would be even better if Varys was in the scene. And right, and there's no reason for Varys to not be in the scene other than they're adapting these books. Like, 
you could have just not had Jorah come back. Yeah. You know, because well, we know we know that he's going to die because he has not gotten medical treatment anywhere near quickly enough for his infection. Like they talk about with Sheree and they had to start it immediately for her to be able to survive. So, like, it really seems like there's no reason <laughs> that they couldn't have just had this happen a lot sooner other than they need it to line up with other elements of the plot. I'm going to disagree only because we have no idea what they're going to do to the next two episodes. Now, I do miss Varys, and I, I was a huge fan of Varys and Tyrion has the buddy-buddy, like, on-the-go, you know, like, road-trip comedy duo that, that, you know, this whole thing that they had, they were awesome to watch, right? But the thing is, is that if we get Varys back, and if Jorah actually does something huge in the next two episodes, like, we know he's going to go back into the fighting pits, and I'm assuming... He's going back into fighting pits, not just because he's going to die because he has this disease, but because something's going to happen. And I think he might actually save her. Like maybe he's going to save her from an assassin and or something. Something's got to happen because why else would the show writers choose to put him back in the fighting pits? Like something's yeah. got to come out of it. Either she's going to decide to abolish the fighting pits once again. It's going to be a way to end her war with the Sons of the Harpy and or something's going to happen. Like he's going to serve a purpose for being there. And I do think that he's a popular enough character that it warrants some sort of closure. Now, the thing is, do you want Varys back, though? I have seen people theorize that perhaps Dragonfire cures grayscale or something like that so who knows the next episode dragons yeah, in the title so who I've knows seen that uh, that theory as well i yeah. i personally think that jorah's back to take the strong Belwas plot mm -hmm. that could that could certainly happen that's a character that they've cut from the uh series disappointingly uh, cut from the series because he yeah. was fun he was well, definitely fun and as for varus i really I, I think if they had just shown one quick scene of him reacting to Tyrion being gone, I would mm -hmm. be less frustrated by that. Just like, what is he doing? Like, it's like the show forgot that he existed and that Tyrion and Varys relationship was so effective. It was so like, it was so entertaining. And Varys is a character we have so much respect for as an audience. I feel like we needed to at least see him go, okay, what am I going to do next? Yeah. No. Oh, I, I know what I'm going to do. And then we don't see him, but we know that he's doing something. That would make sense because if you're saying the disease can be healed, oh, I don't know that. Cured. <laughs> well, I mean, if that is the case, if the, if the disease can be cured, then that means he's not actually going to die. Yeah. So that's interesting. He does feel very dragon slayery, like King, yeah. you know, George. But I, it's her dragon, so I again, I really don't think that can happen. So oh, that's, I don't, you know I what I mean. I don't think he's going to slay the dragon. Mm. It could be something as simple as she's in danger because she just so happens to be in the way of someone attacking someone and or the dragon attacking someone. And it's like, I don't know, a spear is about to hit her and or the dragon's fire is about to hit her and he saves her. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Cooper, any thoughts? If Jorah is dying, like legitimately as a character, he's got the incurable disease. If he is going to die, that character deserves uh, an attempted hero's death. Yeah, and, and I think they'll give it to him if, he, if they're going to kill where him. We're going with it, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, let's move up to the north, and we will get to hard home soon, gentle listeners. It will happen. <laughs> but first, we we need to stop off at, at Winterfell and at the Wall because this episode, I'm still very uh, I, my my thoughts on 
the way they handled uh, Ramsey's rape of Sansa haven't changed. But this episode does a very important thing for me, which it has Sam ask Gilly how she's doing. And it, yeah. it checks in on her. It it cares that she just got attacked. And then the, then we move on to creepy Ollie and Sam really not understanding that Ollie's asking if it's cool for him to poison John, which is yeah. really what it seems like they're setting yeah, up. Yeah, just stand up for what you believe in. Do anything you can if you really believe in something. Oh, boy. Yeah, but but that I think that is such an important thing, the fact that Sam asks how Gilly's doing and, you know, and really the show spends a couple it's all, it's all we need just a couple lines of dialogue to acknowledge that this is a thing that happened and that should affect someone do you have any other thoughts i mean ricky were you just like cackling at all the ollie stuff <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i won't lie but they have i mean i guess see i don't want to talk about ollie right now because i'm gonna have to get into the, like the wall <laughs> okay so can I just put this on hold yeah absolutely okay um yeah. then quickly uh winterfell the only thing I have about Winterfell, um, and of course, because this is all uncharted territory, because the, they've gone a different way than the books, uh, I really loved, you know, Sansa finding out that Bran and Rickon are alive, or at least aren't necessarily dead. So what I'm imagining now happening in these last two episodes is Brienne coming in and kicking some ass, and Sansa, you know, I'm still, I don't think it'll happen because it seems like Ramsay is leaving, but uh, corkscrew to the eye to Ramsay. And then they go off gallivanting to to the wall to, to, to hang out with their awesome, uh, <laughs> her awesome, you know, Commander of the Night's Watch, uh, ha you know, adopted brother. And assuming that Brandon Rickon went that direction, I mean, that would only make sense. So, like, I like this idea of maybe them on the road to the wall next season, like girl power, you know, and pod and just. I, I I really love that idea, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but for this next week, I can at least live in that fantasy of Sansa and Brienne being awesome together next season. What do you guys think? I think they're definitely coming together before the end of the season. And I just really uh, thought Sophie Turner did an amazing job in this episode. She she goes from anger to hurt to anger to and is intense and she's not a scared little girl. And I like the fire. And I sort of like the idea that she may go out to get her revenge and Ramsey's not there. So maybe she kills Roose Bolton. Any hmm. thoughts, Ricky? I'm not sure why she would kill Roose Bolton, but I actually agree. This is one of my favorite Sansa Stark scenes of the season. I like it almost as much as the scene two episodes ago when she was taking a bath and she stood up to Miranda. Mm -hmm. I just love how she was so unforgiving to Theon Greyjoy. And she just t tells Reek that I would do the exact same thing to you. I would torture yeah. you the exact same way Ramsey Bolton tortured you. And I love the way the entire scene played out. I totally agree. Sophie Turner is unbelievable in this episode. She's always great. But in this specific episode, she really stood out. That's the Sansa Stark I want to see. I want to see the Sansa Stark who's strong and confident and who who stands up for for the people she loves and stands up for herself. And she fights back, even if it's fighting back with words. And that is how she finds out valuable information in this case she she finds out that rickon and uh and and bran are still alive 
And I'm assuming that's going to be valuable information. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that we're actually going to see those two boys this season. From what I'm told, I think the showrunner said that they are out for the entire season. I'm not entirely sure. And I don't want to know. I want to mm-hmm. be surprised. I don't think we're going to see them in the next two episodes. I think we're going to have to wait till next season before we see the boys again. But in terms of like Brienne saving her, no, I don't even want Bri- Brienne to save her. I want her to save herself. Yeah. I want I want her to find a way to save herself. And if Ramsay Bolton does leave to go chase after Stannis and his army with his 20 strong men, that would give her plenty of time to find a way out. So could she at least meet up with Brienne where she's waiting and be like, let's do this thing? <laughs> What what if what if she saves Brienne? What if it's a, a role reversal? I mean, this is the kind of show that that likes to surprise us and play with the typical TV tropes and not 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 give into genre conventions. And what if they actually have a role reversal? Like it it could happen. I doubt it, but it would be awesome. Fair enough. I can see that happening. Um, any other thoughts on this, or is it time? I mean, we've been delaying for a while here. Is it time for Hard Home? Time for a uh, uh, Walking Dead Westeros edition. Basically, that was I, I mean, especially because of course Ricky and I co-host the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast. I couldn't <laughs> help but think of that because I'm watching this fantastic action set piece, and we'll also talk about the lead up to it and the, the entirety of that sequence, not just the action. But um, I, I couldn't help but think, watch this, and think, ah, oh, they're doing a good job avoiding having to do a lot of action shooting, or you know, like they're keeping this low budget here with just like a threat of you know like a mist in the back and then a couple like thuds against the door and then they went balls out crazy i did not expect that in episode eight no can i start freaking out now yeah absolutely please do okay oh my god because just last week see we should have started with this topic of conversation because the podcast would have been a lot smoother a lot more exciting for our listeners but listen up Last week, Kate, on the podcast, what did I say? I'm like, why is no one focused on the bigger picture? We we constantly hear people say winter's coming. From Ned Stark to John Stark, five seasons, winter is coming. For five years, viewers have been reminded that winter is coming. And now we've finally seen it. We've seen glimpses of the White Walkers and the undead army in previous seasons, but very few shots of these creatures. It was few and far between. Last night, they showed us more than just a glimpse. They showed us 20 minutes, and holy shit, I could not take my eyes off the screen. As soon as the dogs, as soon as we hear the dogs howling, and yes, the dogs made me happy, I knew we were in for trouble. And the first thing I did was I looked at my clock, because I wanted to see how much time was left in this episode. And I was like, there's about 20 minutes left. I'm like, holy shit, we're going to get a huge, epic battle. And that's exactly what we got. And I love Jon Snow. I've always been a big fan of Jon Snow. But his speech, when he's like, we're not friends, we've never been friends, we won't become friends today. Yeah. I mean, it's like he says, it's not about friendship. It's about survival. And that's what I've been saying for, like, ever now in the podcast. Like, he and Sam seem to be the only two people who are focused on the bigger picture. What did he say? He says, this is about putting a 700-foot wall between you and what's out there. And, And it doesn't 
like all of the politics revolving around King's Landing and the Iron Throne and and the, the seven families or what have you, it does not matter. And when he says, I'm not asking you to forget, forget your dead because I'll never forget the dead. Of course, he's never, never going to forget the dead because the dead are coming back to life to haunt them. Like that whole entire speech was not only so well written and so well delivered by the actor Kit Harrington, but it speaks volumes of what this show is really about and specifically about that battle. Holy shit. This was epic. I think that this is the best sequence in any episode of Game of Thrones. This is one of my favorite episodes so far, hands down, not just of the season, but since the start of the series. It's amazing. You know, we're constantly reminded about winter is coming, winter is coming. And it's like, that's the model of the House of Stark, because they live in the north. And if anyone's going to get hit first, it's the Starks and Winterfell, and they will get hit the hardest not the people in king's landing in the south you know what i mean it's going to be them and it's it's no wonder it takes a stark even if he's a bastard to actually realize the bigger picture loved it cooper how about you i don't know how to follow that um <laughs> well i i want to take a different approach to it because i i noticed something interesting from the beginning of the the entire series i've been wondering how they approach as things get more and more bizarrely supernatural. You know, in the last uh, season, we had the, the Ray Harryhausen skeletons attacking uh, Jojen Reed and, and Bran as they went to the tree. And now this season, we've got zombies, but zombie skeletons. So it's it's almost not just reanimated corpses. It's very distinctly magic. And the same thing with the uh, are we are we officially calling him the Night King now? Uh, Wikipedia is so I okay. feel good about it. Uh, the Night King coming out and and I I immediately giggled when he did his arms up thing because all I could think of is the uh, Are you not entertained <laughs> from um, Gladiator? But he is he is literally resurrecting the dead by his command. And I, I wonder about this. Is it as a series that is somewhat grounded in reality? At what point is it too much for an audience? And is it enough that there's this incredible action set piece? For me as an audience member, I love everything about this because I, I'm on board with the supernatural. But I know the show has... The show has, in places, toned down the more oddball supernatural aspects of the book simply because it may not translate. And when when Ophelia and I were watching this last night, that's uh, my, my partner, she was like, okay, no, so they can only be killed with dragon glass? It's like, no, those are just reanimated dead. The the uh, whites can only be killed with dragon glass and that's those guys over there. So when this becomes legitimate threat, like to the majority of these characters, I think the show may need to make it a little bit more clear how this hierarchy of monsters works. You don't yeah. think it's clear? Well, because they'd spend all this time talking about the dragon glass and really highlighting mm -hmm. that. And yes, obviously I mean, 
we had that great scene with Sam back, was that two seasons ago? Yeah, but, that was a while ago. But that was a while ago, and they haven't included it in the previously ons. And so when you have them talking, like, I'm sorry, even, like, most of the people that they're giving Dragonglass to would not be able to survive long enough to be able to actually stab or even touch <laughs> right. any of these people, any of the, like, the, the, the whites, the, the bad, you know, like, the rulers or the, 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 the military leaders, I guess, the controlling, you know, forces of this. Because the, those are some bad-ass baddies. Like, yeah. the one just kind of, like, hits uh, uh, John with his sword, but doesn't even slash him. Just he gets hit with it. And it very similarly to, I it couldn't help but think of uh, Lord of the Rings with the, the blade of, of the, the riders. Um, oh yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, with, with Frodo back in, in the first of those, in the way that that's portrayed and like how it's the wound, like how it's never quite heals. Like in given how hardcore they are, before you even get a chance to touch them with the dragon glass, it just seemed like, yes, I mean, I've read the books. I know what the deal is, but because, <laughs> you know, they highlight, oh, these are the zombie-ish characters. I couldn't, I was a little confused. I was like, wait, do they need the dragon glass? Or if there's only like these four guys who the dragon glass is useful against, then why are they so worried about the dragon glass? Because that is not their primary problem right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I don't know. The White Walkers are more than just like a bunch of snow zombies. I mean, they resemble the four horsemen for a specific reason. It's each mm -hmm. one represents something. It's all about metaphors. It's conquest. It's war. It's famine. It's death. You know, and the thing about Winter is Coming is like, as a non-book reader, ever since I've heard Ned Stark first say Winter is Coming way back in episode one of season one, to me, it was all about, yeah, it's winter. It's this big, long winter. It's no different than many many wars in in our real world that's taken place in the past centuries in which several uh, armies like literally died because of a cold winter i mean it's it, you talk about famine it's not even just about the winter coming and hitting winterfell and the starks and and down north but it, you know like the whole entire season has all been about famine like people starving to death how are they going to survive it's not even about fighting each other i mean it, to the point where we had that whole sequence last week in which lady olana threatens uh cersei and the high the high septon about not providing them with food anymore and if they don't provide them with food anymore then who's going to feed the people over king's landing and and so this whole entire episode is focused once again on the bigger picture and all goes back to john snow's speech about how they need to form these new alliances to fight against the real danger and how all of these wars within the families are so petty yeah. and, and, and it, it's, 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 it's futile. Like it's, it's it, like no one wins at the end of the day. And it goes back to the speech that Daenerys has with Tyrion about spinning the wheel and how there's one family on the top and then you spin it and the next family takes control and power. And it's, it's this constant rotation, but it just, it's history repeating itself. And at the end of the day, nobody wins. They are all losers. And so to me, the White Walkers are just a symbol of, I think, the Four Horsemen and the Undead Rising. Well, these are all the people they've lost in battle, in war. So the whole, the whole thing to me is like a big metaphor of why war is pointless and how these people are, are killing themselves and fighting against themselves for centuries 
for for no reason, for the stupidest reasons, because so-and-so married so-and-so and and so-and-so is in love with this person. It's an arranged marriage. So let's start this big hundred year war. I I agree with everything that you just said. All I'm saying is I think they're going to have to be a little more explicit about the rules (laughs) moving forward. Like what, when, which are the creatures that require the dragon glass? Which are the creatures that are just zombies? Like I, that's that's all I'm saying, but I but, agree but, uh, wholeheartedly with everything that you just said. But yeah. we get in this episode because, I mean, as far as the undead are concerned, anything can pretty much destroy these these walkers. Can we call them walkers? I mean, it could be a sword, <laughs> it could be an axe, it could be your fist. Yeah, I, but I'm saying I was a little confused when they started doing that because I was like, wait, don't they need the dragon? They've got the blue eyes. Don't they need the dragon glass for the ones that have the blue eyes? Oh, I guess they don't. They can just, you know, stab them in the head or something. Like, it's like normal. Like, I had to recalibrate and, and like, remember and think back to how the just the reanimated corpses worked to be able to, to not be. It just threw me very briefly is what I'm saying. And I'm a book reader and I like yeah. to think I'm a pretty active television watcher as well. So oh, that's okay. all I'm saying. I didn't think about the rules because I always I, I just thought back to I think it was last season in which um, what's his name again Brand's friend Trojan um, mm-hmm. Reed yeah like they fought a bunch of like undead they were well and that makes me wonder okay are these those undead or were those special undead I I do think that as this show peels back the layers and starts revealing all different kinds of magic which seems like it's about to really start happening, it's going to have to do a, a, a decent job in explaining that a little bit. See, and here's where I'm going to disagree with you, Cooper, because I don't think it needs to explain the magic like at all. And and when you have the them dealing with how they're going to defend against monsters, that's a different thing for me. Um, but And when we get back to Bran and we have like the children of the forest and all that, then that's... A different situation but as for like the you know melisandra and uh the red priest if we ever get back to the brotherhood without banners um and you know these different types of magic that are happening i really don't need an explanation for for how they work or where the their power source comes like i guess maybe i'm just having um horrible flashbacks to one of the worst episodes of Lost, which was the flashback episode. Because you're talking to somebody who loves Lost, loves last season, loves the finale. But that flashback episode they did because they thought they needed to explain how the magic-y, island-y thingy, like oh, where it came yes. from. Horrible. Yeah. yeah, with Jacob. Yeah, horrible. So I, I just, I really don't need how do the different types of magic work and are they really, like, I don't need that. But as, you know, as long as every, all the characters on screen I can follow what they need to know. Mm-hmm. That's well. That's all I need. But but I mean, the episode ends with the White Walker raising the dead, like the recent dead, the wildlings who die. They come back to life, so to speak. Self-explanatory, right? You don't oh, yeah. need more than that. <laughs> that is no, and I I think what I mean more than explaining the magic mm-hmm. is simply almost cataloging what's going on. Yeah. Okay, I can see that because. It, Essentially, the way I look at it is you have a place that's pretty non-magical, right? And then dragons awaken. And then things start getting a little bit more magical. And people are able to do things that they weren't able to do before. And I think that's it's really interesting. And I think that's a really great way to 
sort of exp- that that explains it to me. But, but I always try to think of the general audience that's not as but, TV literate as I am. The first episode of Game of Thrones, we open up with a White Walker way back in season one. We've seen it introduced into the show right from the beginning. And we've slowly been introduced to Melisandre and her red magic and the seven gods and House of Black and White and the dragons and the direwolves. We've slowly been introduced to, you know, all of these different elements. Like, so I, I don't know. I think it's always been there. Like, I, I think maybe if you were to binge watch a whole entire season or all five seasons back to back, it might be a little bit more clear because, you know, we, we are watching this week to week and right. there is a year to passes be- between each season, but I think it's always been there. You know, for me, the white walkers are the green reapers of the long cold winter. They touch you, you die, you come back to life. You are now their property. They own you. They control you. And so that goes back to what I said about John's words carry double meaning. They'll never forget they're dead because their dead are coming back to life to haunt them. And that's why that is the biggest danger posed to anyone alive in in Winterfell and or King's Landing, you name it. Um, It goes back to that episode way back in season one, which is still one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. When Bram is lying in his bed after Jamie pushes him out the window, he can no longer walk. And he has his his uh, his babysitter, his old nan, sitting by his side, and she tells him the story. What do you know about fear? Fear is for the winter when the snow falls 100 feet deep. Fear is for the long nights when the sun hides for years and children are born and live and die all in the darkness. That is the time for fear. When the White Walkers move through the woods, we've heard the story way back in season one. It only took this long to actually see it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, seeing how this p- p- plays out in the next two episodes should be very interesting. Seeing how you know how the the, the number of of, of uh, uh, you know seeing how when John returns to the Wall and we have to deal with. Um, you know, the power struggle that is likely to happen when he shows up with all these refugees um, should certainly be interesting. I would be very surprised if the series was able to top because it's clear that there's going to be some level of action next week because they have the fighting pits, you know, like Jorah's going back into the fighting pits. There's this this big exposition that they've been talking about for weeks with Danny. Dragon is in the title of the episode, so we're anticipating <laughs> some stuff to go down. I'd be very surprised if they were able to surpass this. I like that they split it, though. I think it's such a smart move to put it in episode eight. First of all, because people aren't necessarily expecting it, but also because then it le- it will let all these other developments really breathe yeah. in in that ninth episode. So the, the, I, I like this notion, and again, this is all theorizing, but it seems to me that they are going to, instead of having the entirety of episode nine be action. They're going to have everything come to a head on, on these various plot lines. And that is much more interesting to me than just a set piece than just like another, the, the like the fight we had at the wall last year, which was great. It was remarkable, but I'm more interested in seeing how the plots come together than in another spectacular action set piece. So, so giving us that, but giving it to us in eight so that we don't have competing north of the wall and, you know, Danny south of Westeros action set pieces, I think is really smart. And it theoretically gives them a lot more uh, space in episode nine. But there's a huge difference between this battle and the battle from last season, because the battle from last season was 
tying up loose ends and ending storylines. This battle feels like the start of a much larger battle. I think we're going to get something 10 times bigger. And that that excites me. Like, I'm so excited. This is a war that will bring every character that we know and love in the series to the same battleground. And this is just the start. This is a small glimpse of what we are to expect. So after centuries of having these families bicker, the houses are finally going to have no no choice but to put their differences aside and form alliances to fight the undead and the White Walkers. I mean, this battle is just insane. And I have to just talk about the direction. It, not only is the fight choreography so well staged, the camera movement, it's so beautiful. The pacing, the score, the music. I mean, how well directed was this 15 to 20 minute oh, yeah. action set piece? It was incredible. I mean, first we hear the dogs barking. So we know something's wrong. And they hold the shot. The director's not afraid to hold the shot. We get the reaction shots of Jon Snow and everyone else. And then we see the cold air and the snow rise in a distance. And then you really know some something really bad's going to happen. And the first thing I thought, I was like, White Walkers. And then you see the Fen leader run to the gates for the gate to be closed. And so all the wildlings that are left outside are marked for death. Like they are goners, right? And I love the way he holds the shots. I love the way he drops the music right before they close the gates. And then all hell breaks loose. And they drop the music again at the end of the episode. And we just get silence. Has Jon Snow and his men are sailing away and, and the White Walker staring him down. That is the money shot. That was beautiful. And it's because they 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 hold on that shot for like at least five minutes. We just it's all quiet and and we know it's gonna get worse. I mean, this is amazing. You get thousands and thousands of like undead rushing at them. I was I, I'm at a loss for words at how well staged it was. I love how we get to see John racing after a dragon glass. We don't know how he's going to use it. The White Walker appears. He kills off the leader of the, what are they called? Thens? The Thens, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he reaches for the long claw. I was gripping to my seat. When he takes the swing and it takes one single blow, I swear to God, the internet exploded. Like I was on Twitter, <laughs> I was on Facebook. I'm like, one single blow. And it was like, John motherfucking Snow. It was amazing. Yeah. Or shall we say Valyrian steel, Valyrian motherfucking steel, because that's clearly uh, where it's at. I think the Internet exploded with people typing in how many Valyrian steel swords are in Westeros. Well, we I... only know of three plus Littlefinger's dagger, so that'll be four if you count the and dagger. Do you think Joffrey's was buried with him? That's a good I... question. I yeah. do not know. I'm pretty sure at least uh, I'm pretty sure Brian can find a a, a shovel. <laughs> a Valyrian <laughs> shovel? No, no, no. Oh, to, to, yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I totally. I mean, because that is the first thing, one of the first things that comes to mind, of course. And uh, then that again takes me to a place of Jon Snow and Brienne kicking ass together north of the Wall. Um, yeah, there's there's so much. Um, there's so much I could go. And I'm, I'm glad that we specifically mentioned that because that was the last thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about, which was I, the the visual effects for the the bursting into ice, you know, shards of ice um, of that White Walker. Now, is that the same guy? Is that the same White Walker from the pilot or is that a different one? Because like, he looked really familiar, but I couldn't place I think the design. he was the one that Sam saw in the snowstorm. 
Ah, yes, when he, like, they passed or whatever. The one leading the charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He looked just like that one. I could be wrong. Yeah. What I what I found really interesting, if I could segue us for a moment, is you know, Ricky, you were you're talking extensively about what these, um, how everybody's just playing their Game of Thrones while this horrible thing is happening up north, and will come down and consume them all. And I find that interesting when compared with Danny, because Danny's doing the exact same thing. She's relentlessly aiming for power that she doesn't necessarily deserve just because she feels entitled to it. Well, Tyrion calls her out. I know, but no one is is talking about the White Walkers over there either. Yeah, but, but that's why I'm not a believer in Daenerys becoming the queen of the Seven Kingdoms when mm-hmm. the series ends. I think it's going to be Sansa Stark. It's got to be a Stark. And it doesn't make sense that it's Jon Stark because technically is a bastard. I think it's going to be Sansa Stark. After all of the bad things we've seen happen to her, and I think she is the eldest of the of whoever's left apart from Jon Snow, right? It would be yeah, yeah. So I think it's going to be Sansa Stark. I, I think I'm I'm on Tyrion's side. I don't think that Daenerys it will make a great leader. You know, I don't think she's experienced, and I think even with experience, she she still would not make a great leader. It doesn't matter if she has dragons or doesn't have dragons. Like you know, it's like he says in this episode. Politics isn't always about killing. Right. You know, and and just to go back to Ollie for a second, because we mentioned him before, and I want to kind of save my my little thoughts on the, this little boy. The, 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 we learned something very interesting or in this episode, at least I don't think we knew this prior. In this episode, he tells Sam that Tormund Giantsbane was responsible for leading the raid that killed his entire family and community. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. Okay, so I, I didn't know it was actually Tormund Giantsbane that led the Wildlings. I, I, I remember Wildlings. Yeah, it was Tormund and Igret uh, were the two main players that we saw a lot of in that battle. Just to go back to the battle one last time. <laughs> okay, we get this character whose name is Carsey, who looks so much like Igret, only she's like the actress that's in like Pitch Perfect 2 and Mad Max Fury Road. But when I saw her for for like a about a minute, I thought it was like Igrit had like a twin sister in or something. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh my God, so they've now introduced a new love interest for Jon Snow. And then she dies. And the way she dies, like when the dead children come back to life and charge at her, honestly, that was truly terrifying. Yeah, this was. whole this whole entire action set piece, which lasts about 15 to 20 minutes, put me on a roller coaster of emotions. And and it takes a lot of talent to pull off such an ambitious action set piece and have, sorry, have viewers experience a wave of emotions in such a short span of time. Like I was frightened and scared and terrified and cheering and just like sad. And, and I mean, oh my God, it was just amazing. And the giant, there's a giant in this episode. He's back. And to mm-hmm. see the giant running away from the undead, oh, I felt so bad for him. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what about the giant? Are you just going to leave him behind? Can he get on a boat? Can he swim across the shore? Like, what happens to the giant? I couldn't help but worry about this poor little giant. <laughs> he, he, first of all, clearly does not need a boat, as he demonstrates. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just kept thinking with the giant, oh, God, we really don't want him to die. That would be very, very, very bad if he died. He becomes um, a White Walker. 
Yeah, yeah, it becomes one of the the zombies or whatever. Um, definitely, that's interesting, uh, Ricky, because as soon as they give um that one of uh, a uh, woman the leader, you know, one of the elders. Uh, her very touching, very conspicuous scene kissing her children. Yeah, I'll be goodbye. right behind you. I was like, well, she's dead. Yeah. And, and so I, I was actually surprised how long it took them to kill her. And I I was almost encouraged. I was like, oh, maybe they're going to kill Tormund and she's going to be the new. We had those. Then as soon as those children came up, super disturbing, by the way, the zombie children. And we've been wondering about that on Game of Thrones for a while. So. Game so game, we've been wondering about that on Walking Dead for a while, excuse me, and Game of Thrones beat them to it. Um, but yeah, that that I'm surprised that um, that that you didn't see that one coming because it just it felt so. That was one of my very few complaints with yeah. the, the scenes up in Hard Home. I remember specifically in a moment you're talking about, and I was like, oh, a little bit of foreshadowing. But I'm like, no, this is Game of Thrones. So they're going to do something else. They're going to do we don't expect. Don't yeah. expect. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. And she's a total badass. And and actually, the, I'm really hoping that we see her again because they did such a good job of making her feel distinct and getting us to connect with her her look and everything. They could, that's something they could easily bring her back at some point to to be random, you know, Walker, but have it be more powerful than you know random zombie should be. Um, I would like to think maybe they'll do that. Well, that's something that George Romero always did in his zombie movies. He essentially created hero zombies that were identifiable that you can follow throughout otherwise just miscellaneous chaos. And so if we are going to get another big battle, it would be nice to be able to identify these different people. We could have that leader of the Thens be one of those walkers. Yeah. Do we have any other uh, thoughts on this episode or hopes for episode nine? Hmm. I'm I'm actually very uh, excited to see where it goes because it is going to be different. And I think that's wonderful. Ricky? I don't think we're going to get another battle before the end of the season. I think they just spent their budget. <laughs> But, <laughs> but it was epic and it was amazing. You know, because last week I was actually asking Kate, I'm like, how are they ever going to do this huge battle between the undead, the White Walkers, and and everyone else who's alive? And this week we get a sm- what I think is going to be a small glimpse of a bigger battle moving forward. I guess I want to see more of Varys, and I want him to come back mm-hmm. before the season ends. I want to see Arya out of the House of Black and White and back in the big picture. I want to see Cersei somehow released from prison because as much as I love to hate her, I love watching the character. And um, yeah, of course, I want to see Sansa Stark escape, but I want to see her rescue herself. And I want to see more of Brienne. And it would be nice if we uh, got a little bit of Dorne, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's still a thing that's happening. This has been a <laughs> a, a disjointed season. Uh, I seems pretty clear to me. This is I, there are things that I have uh, thought have done, been handled very well this season, but on the whole, it just seems like it's I I would it would take a lot in these last two episodes for for this to not be a downtick of a season after the last couple of years. Um, just because they've they've just really bungled a couple of the different things, and Dorne is a big one. Dorne feels like it's the size of like Rhode Island, which is a problem because it's like a, it's supposed to be 
rather larger than that. Um, so um, if they can give some a sense of scale and a sense of urgency to Dorne, that would be very nice. If there's a reason for all this Dorne stuff to be happening other than, you know, so Jamie can't bust Cersei out uh, of, uh, you know, from the, from the sparrows, that'd be nice. Um, I second the Varys thing. I don't know if it's going to happen. I'd be kind of surprised, but that'd be nice. Uh, if they're going to do Lady Stoneheart, that'd be mm. nice. I don't know that they are, but if they are, you know, no time like the present or, you know, the end of episode 10 as an awesome cliffhanger for the next season would be amazing. Um, and we better get dragons next week because you don't get to title episode nine dance of dragons and not have dragons. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on, Tyrion, you know, Tyrion wants to like get an up close personal. He's always loved dragons. That's always been a thing for him. I don't know if they talked about that on the show, but that's something in the, from the books as a kid, he was fascinated with dragons and would like walk among the bones of the old dragons. So that'd be nice. I'll, I guess I'll leave it there as like a more whimsical choice. Uh, well, on that, you know, more l l that slightly less serious note, let's uh, let's wrap up this week's podcast. Thank you, Cooper, so much for coming on to talk with us about Game of Thrones. Where can our listeners find you when you work online? Uh, you can find me at Swing Set Life on Twitter. Uh, I run the SwingSet.fm podcast network and. It's predominantly about human sexuality and non-monogamy, but we do have the Eat the Rudecast Hannibal podcast and um, damn good podcast about Twin Peaks on there as well. And I just wrote a book. If you're at all curious about non-monogamy, swinging, and polyamory, my book is called My Life on the Swing Set, and you can get it at mylifeonthesingset.com. Well, and uh, you mentioned Eat the Roodcast, of course. Yes. Um, Cooper and his fabulous co-hosts from Eat the, Eat the Roodcast and Damn Fine Podcast, Miko and Ophelia, uh, are guests on this week's This Is Our Design uh, for the season premiere of Hannibal. Amazing and season premiere. Yes, it's very, very delightful, and <laughs> y'all are going to love it. Uh, so that's a big thing happening this week at, at Sound On Sight. I'm going to be covering... Uh, Hannibal with weekly reviews at Sound on Sight, um, including a big, lots of, lots of diving in with the music, which is a thing that I love to do. Ricky, you're going to be doing as, as it occurs, as it's warranted, you're going to be doing supplemental, um, analysis of Hannibal. Are you excited? Yeah. Well, I've reviewed Hannibal for two seasons. And so I kind of want a little change of pace. So I'm going to be writing, I guess, articles about the cinematic influences and, mm -hmm. I guess I'm going to focus on the look and the cinematography perhaps of each and every single episode. I don't know if I'm going to do an article each and every single week, but I'm going to try. I'm really looking forward to that because yeah. I have, I have a basis in um, quite a bit of film. Actually, I'm a, I've, I've seen a lot of film, uh, not compared to, you know, Ricky and all them, but compared to normal people. Uh, but not since, you know, becoming a TV podcaster. So, uh, and certainly not the, the genre that's, you know, the, the kind of films that are inspiring Hannibal. I, that's a huge weak point for me. So, um, Ricky has all this great, every, every week last, last season and the season before I would read your Hannibal reviews and you'd call out all these really great references to cinematic, uh, you know, like memorable visuals and, uh, and, and as, as well as just adding 
value to the, my appreciation of, of the reviews with your knowledge of the cinematic influences. So I'm really looking forward to, to reading uh, reading that and listening to Eat the Rootcast and podcasting This Is Our Design, the <laughs> Soundicide's uh, handle podcast. Uh, I'm also right over at, at the AV Club where right now I'm covering Veep as it ra- wraps up its season. And of course, at Soundicide, the weekly TV podcast because <laughs> who doesn't want three podcasts a week right now. I mean, come on. Good times. Um, that is the Televerse, and we talk about everything else that doesn't have its own podcast. So you guys can check that out there. And, of course, reach out. I'd love to talk with you guys on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. Ricky, uh, where can our listeners find your work? Uh, aside from, you know, sound on site. And what's going on this week uh, besides Hannibal of uh, the podcast at, at the website? Well, first of all, you can find me on Twitter at Sound On Site. Like us on Facebook and Tumblr. I also do a bunch of podcasts. Maybe I think like eight. <laughs> <laughs> I gonna... don't know how. <laughs> uh, I will guest host on the Hannibal podcast. I guest host. Sorry, I co-host The Walking Dead with you. Also, Kate, I have my movie podcast, which has just come to a bitter end after eight years, five hundred episodes. We reviewed the original Mad Max trilogy and of course Mad Max Fury Road. Check it out because no one knows more about Mad Max than I. And uh, over at soundsite.org, uh, we are publishing our list of the hundred greatest action scenes. We are also releasing our list of the best comic books of the year so far, the best movies of the year so far, the best video games of the year so far. And if you play video games, do check out my video game podcast, N-Express, which you can find over at soundinsight.org, where we bring on a different guest each and every single week, including game developers and publishers. And, you know, we love Nintendo. So if you especially love Nintendo and or indie games, check it out. And the last thing I'll mention, um, if for those who are listening to this podcast in a timely manner, uh, I'll, I'll be at the Austin Television Festival this week. So if you guys are going to be down there, hit me up on Twitter and maybe we can go grab a drink because I always love meeting our, our listeners when I get the opportunity. So hopefully there are some fellow TV fans, uh, you know, from the Sound On Sight family and listenership who it would be wonderful to meet in person. So I uh, figured I'd throw that on there in there at the, at the end. So. Uh, again, thank you, Cooper, so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Next week, we'll be back to talk about, Ricky and I will be back to talk about Season 5, Episode 9, The Dance of Dragons, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, yet again, and directed by David Nutter. So it should be very exciting. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound on Site Game of Thrones podcast. I'm not going to kill you. No? Banish me? No. So if I'm not going to be murdered and I'm not going to be banished... You're going to advise me. While you can still speak in complete sentences. Advise you on what? How to get what I want. The Iron Throne. Perhaps you should try wanting something else. If I want jokes, I'll get myself a proper fool. I'm not entirely joking. There's more to the world than Westeros, after all. How many hundreds of thousands of lives have you changed for the better here? Perhaps this is where you belong, where you can do the most good. I fought so that no child born into Slaver's Bay would ever know what it meant to be bought or sold. I will continue that fight here and beyond. But this is not my home. When you get back to your home, who supports you? The common people. Let's be generous and assume that's going to happen. Here in Slaver's Bay, you had the support of the common people, and only the common people. What was that like? 
ruling without the rich. House Targaryen is gone. Not a single person who shares your blood is alive to support you. The Starks are gone as well. Our two terrible fathers saw to that. The remaining members of House Lannister will never back you, not ever. Stannis Baratheon won't back you either. His entire claim to the throne rests on the illegitimacy of yours. That leaves the Tyrells. Not impossible. Not enough. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream. Stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Take a life.